Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, which is on page 803 in your Pew Bible. And then we're going to jump over to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, which is on page 694. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ who we, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. God bless the hearing of his word. How's everybody today? Good. Who am I? Hmm? Who am I? A lost sheep? <laughs> ah. <laughs> hmm? Grammy? Who am I? Bo? Um, teacher? Mother? Daughter? Sister? Anything I want to be? A Barbie? <laughs> <laughs> we were born the same year, Barbie and I. Uh, I used to play with Barbies, you're right. You know all this about me because you know me. You've seen me up here week in and week out, year after year. You've heard me tell you all about myself. Uh, so that's how you know me. Well, I brought some things today. You may or may not know what they are. We'll start with something easy. Anybody know what this is? 
opener. Why do you know that this is a can opener? If somebody today, I bet someone like Ben, I asked Ben last night if he knew what this was, and he said he didn't know. You know what this is because you've probably used one like this, right? Now we have that cool one that you put on and you push the button and it just goes, you don't even have to touch it. I love that. This one's a lot of work. So you know what it is because you used it. How about this? It's an apple core. Again, you know what it is because you've probably used one. You stick it down in the apple and you turn it and it takes the core right out. All right, getting a little trickier now. How about this? Yeah, he has a bottle opener on his. This thing moves. This thing opens, sort of. But it closes when you push it down. A pipe cleaner, an olive grabber. I do actually have one of those. I probably should have brought that. Um, it's a pincher, it does pinch something, you're right. It's for, you know those candles that come in jars? When you get down to the bottom, how do you light it? You stick the match in here, you squish it up there, you light the match, and then you have all this extra stuff. It's a, it's a match holder thingy. And I have one more thing you might know what this one is. If I can get it out of the bag. A trash bag, you're right, it's a trash bag. Anybody know what this? A toaster! Now he would probably know it because of all his Revolutionary War stuff, but this is a toaster. <laughs> he's not that old, but I'm sure he's used one of these. Hmm? It looks like a rake, you're right. It looks like you could rake some leaves with this. I don't know, it's kind of a funny looking thing. But you put this in front of the fire, you put your bread in here, and then when that side's done by the fire, you turn it around and do the other side. It's a toaster. You need one? Um, I bought this one actually at the Sturbridge Federated's auction. Right, yeah. You don't have to put it in. Yes, you put the bread. They put the bread in just like this, sort of. But yours probably goes side by side, right? Not all these things is because sometimes we know what something is because we've used it or have seen it at least. And sometimes we don't know what they are because it's not something that we're used to using. I knew Ray would know this one, but I didn't know. Did anybody else know what this was? Well, you'd know what it is now. But Jesus asked his disciples, well, who, who am I? Who do, who do people think I am? And he got a whole bunch of answers, just like I got a whole bunch of answers for this because you didn't really know what this was. Everybody knew these two, but not so much this one. 
And it makes me wonder, yeah, they said, oh, John the Baptist or a prophet or Elijah. And then Peter said, no, you are the Messiah. But God told him that. He didn't learn that. Nobody came up to him and said, hey, Peter, psst, Peter, he's the Messiah. It was God-given. And I wonder sometimes what we would answer if Jesus said to us, who am I? What would you answer? Hmm. When, when uh, Peter said, you're the Messiah, he said, okay, shh, don't tell anybody. You got it right, but don't tell anybody. But now, he wants us to tell everyone. He wants us to tell everyone that he came. He lived with us. He suffered and died for us. But he didn't stay dead. He came back. He is the promised Messiah. The key that fixes the problem, unlocks the key, uh, the door to heaven, and puts us back in a right relationship with God. And that's the message we need to tell everyone. It's not a secret anymore. So let's get that word out there. Tell everyone. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are the Messiah, that you have come and you have saved us, given us new life, new hope, given us strength and power. Help us to not be afraid to share that information, that love, that peace, that joy that you give us with everyone. They may see you, but they don't necessarily know who you are until we can explain that to them. So help us find the words, the actions, to show others who you are so they can come to know you too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to have a new appreciation of who you are. By the end of this service, we pray that um, we will also have a better appreciation of who we are in Jesus Christ, that we are loved and that we are works in progress and that we can be united and belong to each other in you. In Jesus' name, amen. That prayer was basically the sermon, so we can all go to the picnic now. <laughs> Not really, though. Um, so have you ever heard anyone or seen anyone say, you know who I am? What is, what kind of person asks that? Someone who thinks they're important. Um, how do we feel about that kind of question? What's that? Yes. It does feel like arrogance, right? When Paul and I are t taking a ride in the car and someone cuts us off or does something else ridiculous and probably unsafe on the road, one of us will often say, as if the person driving the other car is saying, you know who I am. Why is this person in such a hurry that they have to cut us off or they have to turn left when it wasn't really their turn to do that or or whatever 
um, we all know this kind of person or this kind of situation where somebody just feels like they're being a little extra arrogant or maybe entitled, right? Um, if you work at Starbucks ever, you will encounter this dynamic a lot. <laughs> Something about being able to um, customize your coffee down to the drop makes people feel like they're really important. So here's a question. Do you ever feel, do you ever find yourself being that person? Let's pray. Lord, help us to have a new appreciation of who you are. By the end of this service, we pray that um, we will also have a better appreciation of who we are in Jesus Christ, that we are loved and that we are works in progress and that we can be united and belong to each other in you. In Jesus' name, amen. That prayer was basically the sermon, so we can all go to the picnic now. <laughs> Not really, though. Um, so have you ever heard anyone or seen anyone say, you know who I am? What is, what kind of person asks that? Someone who thinks they're important. Um, how do we feel about that kind of question? What's that? Yes. It does feel like arrogance, right? When Paul and I are t taking a ride in the car and someone cuts us off or does something else ridiculous and probably unsafe on the road, one of us will often say, as if the person driving the other car is saying, do you know who I am? Why is this person in such a hurry that they have to cut us off or they have to turn left when it wasn't really their turn to do that or, or whatever? Um, we all know this kind of person or this kind of situation where Somebody just feels like they're being a little extra arrogant or maybe entitled, right? Um, if you work at Starbucks ever, you will encounter this dynamic a lot. <laughs> Something about being able to um, customize your coffee down to the drop makes people feel like they're really important. So here's a question, do you ever feel, do you ever find yourself being that person? Ah, uh, yeah, me. <laughs> um, sometimes when Paul and I are going back and forth, we will call each other on this. If one of us is, this doesn't usually have to do with driving, um, but if one of us is getting a little bit out of our lane, the other one will say, do you know who I am? And then that reminds us that it's a funny way, it's a gentle way of being like, hey, you might, <laughs> you might wanna um, take a look at what you're doing or how you're being here. Most of us probably here in this room don't consciously think that we're entitled to lots of special treatment. Um, we want to make sure that we're not being treated unfairly, but we don't feel like we're entitled, but every once in a while that attitude can come up and it 
in ourselves and can take us by surprise or sometimes it sneaks up on us so we don't even realize that that's the attitude that we're having. And this kind of thing happens the most often with people that we are comfortable with, that we are close to. Um, we tend to, the people that we know the best, we often tend to take for granted. And so we can act entitled or like we think we're somehow extra important in the relationship and not even realize it. Um, this actually happened this week for me in one of the groups that I lead in the pilgrimage. Um, I made a <laughs> sort of a strategy error in some planning decisions that we were making for this group and it didn't go over very well. Um, my error, it was, a, it was a mistake on my part, but it was an honest mistake. I didn't have a full, I didn't have all the information that I needed to have navigated this situation very well. And, but anyway, like I said, it didn't go well. And everybody in the group handled it kind of badly. Um, and it was really hard because I don't like when people don't like me <laughs> or things that I do. And so, um, so yeah, we're still kind of working through it. I think we're, I think we're okay now, but um, part of why we didn't handle it well was because I made an honest mistake. And so when people started coming at me, they were coming out of their own interests and feelings. And I was feeling kind of attacked. And I was like, but I didn't mean to hurt your feelings or mean to, to do this. How come you don't know this about me? And all of us started thinking about our own feelings and our own interests. And it just turned into this, you know, you've experienced this too, I know. So we are talking these couple of weeks about salvation. Um, in terms of being rescued, and we've been using this analogy that has worked really well the last two weeks, and it's going to keep working today. Next week, we might have to drop the analogy because I don't think it's going to lend itself too much. But, but what is the analogy that we're looking at? Rescue from shipwreck. That's the analogy. The word is rescue. The analogy is shipwreck. So we were shipwrecked, and Jesus, with his big saving ship came and rescued us and we're on the boat and last week we talked about helping Jesus to rescue other people but here's the thing now we're all on this boat with a whole bunch of other people who were shipwrecked at one time like we were and we're not going Jesus boat is not a shuttle it's not this thing where he pulls you out of the water and then he takes you to land and then he comes back and re rescues some other people. He just keeps everybody on the boat until everybody that's going to be rescued is rescued. So we're still on this boat. We are not returning to land anytime soon because we have a purpose on the boat too. Jesus wants us to help in this rescue mission. But that means that we have to get along with all the other people on the boat. <laughs> this is like the longest running reality TV show ever, except 
the objective is to not vote anybody off. It's to try to make it work so that everybody stays on. That's harder, guys. It's pretty easy to get voted off or to vote somebody off or to think that they deserve to be voted off. But our objective is to keep people on and bring more people on. So we want to enfold them. We want to belong to each other. We want to, we need to, we actually need to interact with each other. Sometimes we pull somebody out of their little shipwreck, their life raft, and bring them up onto the boat and they act all entitled and that's a little hard to take. Or sometimes the old timers, and I don't mean old people, I mean the people who have been on the boat for a while, we, we feel like we know how things work around here and so how come these new people can't get it together and we have worked really hard to get them on this boat, but then maybe it's a little tempting to ignore them or even mistreat them once they're there. So any one of us, there are people on the boat who have been here longer than we are, we have, and there are people on the boat who have not been here as long as we have. And every time you bring a new person on, the dynamic changes. Every time. We are all saved, but some of us have spent more time with the captain and others are just barely getting their sea legs. And so we have to, first of all, be patient with each other, but we have to continue to work together no matter where we are in this process. Which brings us to Romans 12 which doesn't say it, say this in these words, but basically the point of Romans 12 is spend time with the captain because it will help unite us. I like that Barb focused on the Matthew passage where Jesus asks his disciples, do you know who I am? First he says, who do other people say that I am? And they asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And there's a difference. Jesus tells Peter that God the Father told Peter what Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, and God did. But it's because Peter and the other disciples had been spending time with Jesus. You don't really get to know somebody if you don't spend time with them. And so when we're on the boat, we need to spend time with our captain so we can get to know him so that we can be better to each other. In verse 1 of Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is not a suggestion, <laughs> he is urging, in view of God's mercy, not because God's going to beat you up, I urge you because God is merciful, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The Christian life is first and foremost about sacrifice, self-sacrifice, because our Messiah, our Savior, our Captain, our Rescuer, sacrificed himself to get us onto the boat. So when we accept his rescue, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him. He's the Captain now. We are not the Captain of our own ship. 
There's a really famous poem, which you probably have not heard of the poet or the title of the poem, but it's his, the guy's name is William Ernest Hensley, and the poem is Invictus, and I bet you've heard these lines. The poem ends, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Super famous. Lots of people find it really inspiring. This poem gives me the chills and not in a good way. This is a person who's saying, I don't care what happens to me in this life or the next life as long as I'm in charge and I can do my life how I want. That is absolutely the opposite of the life of following Christ. And do not let anyone tell you any different. It is the opposite. This is a person who is going through life saying, do you know who I am? This is what Jesus has rescued us from. Actually, there's a heck of a lot of pressure to go through life asking everybody, do you know who I am? Because then you have to be that person. And none of us are that person. None of us is that important. Why would we want to go back to the place where we're fully in charge of our own selves, but not really? We're also captive to our own selves to our selfishness, to our desires, to our own will, which changes back and forth all the time. Why would we want to go back there? Jesus rescued us from that. When we say yes to Jesus, we are saying no to that. So in verse 2, Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That is the pattern of this world. Where I need everybody to know who I am. I need everybody to notice how important I am. I need everybody to cater to my needs. And if they don't, I am going to be upset because do you know who I am? That is the pattern of this world. But, Paul says, be transformed. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We actually all come out of that mindset in some way or other. Some of us are very insecure, that is more my style, <laughs> um, but even insecurity away from Christ is very self-focused. And so when, when we don't like ourselves, we're still focused on ourselves. So Paul is saying, don't, don't get stuck in that mindset anymore. Let God transform it. We all need this transformation. All of us start with conforming to the pattern of this world, but we all need to be transformed, and God will do it. Then, when we're transformed, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We worship God most truly and most properly when we give him our sacrifice, our, di our discipline, our preferences, our desires, our bodies, our minds, our wills to God in Jesus until his good and pleasing and perfect will 
becomes second nature and we don't have to discipline ourselves anymore. So we get on the boat and we're learning to get our sea legs and we're trying and we some of us are learning how to climb the rigging, but some of us are afraid of heights. And there's there are lots of different jobs on a boat. We're not all going to do the same one, but we all have to learn them. We all have to transform our minds from landlubbers who got stuck in a shipwreck to people who actually know how to function well together on a boat. And that takes discipline. I am not a person, I am sometimes disciplined about some things, but I don't like the idea that I don't know how to do things perfectly right away, which is why I don't play the piano. <laughs> My mom plays the piano really well. She tried to teach me, poor woman. I gave her the worst time because I couldn't magically play the piano perfectly. If I would have practiced and just gotten over myself, I'd probably be able to play the piano right now, but I cannot. We need to get over ourselves, sacrifice ourselves to God, and discipline our bodies, minds, wills, desires, preferences, everything to him in Jesus Christ until it becomes second nature, and then it, we're not disciplined anymore. We're living this joyfully because we are changed. So what is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? Life everlasting, that none should perish. We're getting there. Humility and grace. Yep. Okay, that we consider what he feels important, important to us. So what is what is important to him? Fellowship with him and and others. Yes. Okay, so let's read this like because we know that originally the Bible wasn't Romans was a letter. It wasn't written with little verse numbers, and it sure wasn't written with the section breaks that our Bibles put in there. So listen to this. If we read it all as one block of thought, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will for by the grace given me. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And then he starts talking about how we're supposed to treat each other and work together as the body of Christ. So God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is that we are transformed with the mind of Christ to have the mind of Christ, which is humility, and we're going to get there again in a minute, um, to have the mind of Christ so that we can treat each other the way we're supposed to. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will was for human beings to rule together over creation in God's name as if God himself were ruling over creation and loving each other. And so that is God's perfect will for us to work together, to belong together. These sections in this passage belong together. So Paul's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First of all, we do need to 
We need to get with Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus so that we can learn to think and see things more and more the way that Jesus thinks and see things. And when we do that, when our minds are transformed, the way we start to act will be transformed. And how we respond to things will be transformed. And how we respond to each other will be transformed. Even secular philosophy or psychology knows this, right? If you go to a therapist, there are a whole lot of therapists that will try to teach you, and also self-help books, and also pop psychologists, who will try to teach you to change the way you think about things, usually yourself, um, so that it will change how you are in the world, what you do, how you respond. Psychology knows this. But Jesus knew it first. And Jesus said it first. It's actually in our Bibles. At one point, Jesus says, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in here or what's in here, that's what comes out. And he also talked about, and Ron brought this up in Morning Quiet this week, that when you think badly about somebody else, it's as if you killed them. And part of that is because we are responsible for our thoughts. But part of that, I think, is because if we harbor a sinful idea in our minds, it is a whole lot easier to suddenly act it out. People, it, the, the barriers start to break down, and our actions very often follow. And so Paul here is saying, do it the other way. Start to think like Jesus so that all of the good stuff that you're learning to think comes out. And the first piece of this is, like you said, John, humility. We talked about humility on the first Sunday of this series. Humility was necessary for us to get rescued. We needed to know that we needed to be rescued. There are a whole lot of people that are still floating around in their shipwreck who are not willing to acknowledge that they need to be rescued. We need to have the humility to say, I am in a shipwreck, and I need rescue, and I cannot do it myself. We also need humility to help Jesus rescue others, because we need to be humble enough to realize that we cannot force another person, another person's salvation. We cannot force another person to get rescued. This used to stress me out because I would try to share Jesus with all these people and they would just blow me off and I would be like, like I would go home and cry about it, literally. And it was from a good place, like I really cared about these people. Um, but it's not me. I am not, I wasn't the failure. I was doing what God told me to do. But it's between the person and God whether they actually get rescued. So I needed humility there. Also, need humility when we're in the boat and we're looking at the person floating in the water. We were there. Just because we're on the boat doesn't mean we're better than the person still in the water. We didn't get ourselves out. We're in the same. We're the same. We just said yes to the rescue. So humility is needed to help Jesus rescue others. But humility is also necessary for us to work well together on this ship until God decides it's time to dock it. So just a little reminder, 
Humility does not mean to think badly about yourself. I already said today that sometimes thinking badly about yourself is just as self-absorbed as thinking too much of yourself because you're thinking about yourself. Humility is not about thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm a horrible person, I'm not worthy, I can't do anything, I'm no good. That's not what humility is. Humility is to think of yourself when you need to, honestly, to have a good self-assessment, and to think about everybody else, and this goes to David's point, with grace. Usually, the pattern of this world is, that most of us have been conformed to, is I am looking for grace for myself but I am thinking really honestly about all the rest of you <laughs> or people in my pilgrimage group or we're all doing that to each other. The way, the transforming way of Christ is to flip it. Think really honestly about yourself and think with great grace and forgiveness about everybody else. When we do that, this will enable us both to be there for each other, to stay in our lane with what God's given us to do, and be able to acknowledge when we need each other to care for us. Paul says, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other, you guys. We belong. I hope that this picnic that we have this afternoon will be super fun. But also, and I don't want us to do work, <laughs> except for maybe the food prep. But I also hope that it's a time where we can feel more like we belong to each other. This is important. Paul also says, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. And then he gives some examples of the gifts. And each gift that each person has is not given for their own benefit. So I can tell you for sure, and I've said this before, Public speaking is not my natural gift. I used to not be able to do this. I would burst into tears. I would not have lasted here very long if that continued. So I have to say, God is the one, it is the Spirit of God that enabled me to be in this pulpit because I, that's not me. So this is a gift that God gave through his grace, but it's not for me. I am not here so that you can all be like, oh, our pastor, she's the best. I mean, that would be great, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is not for me to be up here and just say whatever I want. The point is for me to listen to God and work hard during the week to, with scripture and to listen to him so that I can bring something that's of benefit to you. Otherwise, frankly, why are we here? Um, at least doing this. It's not for me. You all have a gift that God has given you by his grace, at least one, 
to, that's not for you, that's not for your glory, but it's to help the other people in this room. Uh, somebody that I am becoming friends with online named Sharifa Stevens, she's a writer, she said, God's plan of goodness has always been communal. Always. It has never been individual. Part of the goodness of God is us. Part of the goodness of God is how we deal with each other. She also said, sometimes we need some people to carry us because we don't have it. We don't have it to pray, we don't have it to have faith, and we need people to break the roof open and lower us down. Sometimes, that's referring to a story where some people bring somebody for, to Jesus for healing and they lower him through a roof. Sometimes we need to be using our gifts to serve each other. Sometimes we need to be willing to say, I got nothing right now. I am fried, I am sad, I am discouraged, I am exhausted, I need some help. That is not easy for all of us either. Three weeks ago, Sandy described humans as needing to be saved from ourselves, and that is accurate. In the world of the shipwreck, when we're all still floating around in the water on our little rafts or driftwood or whatever, it is literally each and every person for him or herself, even if that looks like taking care of other people. Sometimes, some of us are designed in such a way that we are nurturers. Naturally, we are nurturers, and we want to care for everybody, and we do not want to ask for help or receive help, and partly because Somewhere, usually not even consciously, there's a little piece of us that's saying, do you know who I am? This is who I am. I help everybody. I do not need other people to help me. There are, there's a whole spectrum of ways that we can get caught up in ourselves. And this is why, this is a tough habit to break, and this is why we need our minds renewed and our entire lives sacrificed to God in order to be transformed. On the ship of life that Jesus hauled us into, we can rest even as we're working. We can stop asking, do you know who I am? Jesus has told us who we are, like the song we sang this morning. We are his, we are beloved, and we are each other's. We all are important, but not in a way to lord it over each other or to put ourselves down below somebody else, we're important because we are loved by Jesus. And we said yes to him bringing us onto the boat. So we don't have to ask, do you know who I am anymore? Instead, we can rest in the one who asks his disciples, which by the way is also us, who do you say that I am? And when we can answer him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and when we can let him be that to us, we are rescued. We will begin to have our hearts and our minds and our lives transformed. And we will be better able to serve and be served by the people on the ship. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's true whether we say it or not. But Lord, we each as individuals need to express that to you so that you can bring us into the community of your people who belong to each other because we belong to you. We pray that you will help us to grow together, to truly love each other, to have our minds and our hearts and our actions transformed by the time that we spend with you individually and together. And Lord, I just yeah, thanks, Lord. I'm going to invite all of us to say, if you mean it, out loud, I'm going to ask on behalf of Jesus, who do you say he is? If you mean it and believe it, say together, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you say Jesus is? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.